Hi everyone, welcome back to Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Last class session we talked about Ninochka. Uh, we talked about Ernst Lubitsch. Um, and uh, we're going to get uh, right into the start of Billy Wilder's um, directing Hollywood directing career, what I'm sure a lot of you are here for. Um, Billy Wilder had gotten really tired of writing, not for Lubitsch, of course, but for other directors. For example... Let me pull out a story here from uh, Conversations with Billy Wilder, the uh, Cameron Crowe interview. Let's see here. Um, he says, I remember one episode, Leeson, that's, uh, that's, that's Mitchell Leeson, he was a director at Paramount, uh, was directing Hold Back the Dawn. We were already writing the next script and not allowed on set. Policemen, policemen were on the set saying, no, no, no. That was the situation we had then. In pictures in those days, they didn't even let you watch what you wrote. So we had written a scene in Hold Back the Dawn where the hero, actually he's a gigolo, Charles Boyer, that's the actor, is lying there in that dirty Hotel Esperanza across the border. It was for the first third of the picture he's stranded in Mexico. He hasn't got the papers to get in, but he would like to get to America. He lies there in bed all dressed, and there is a cockroach who is crawling up the wall, and the cockroach wants to get into the broken, dirty mirror. Get onto, excuse me, get onto the broken, dirty mirror. And Boyer was to imitate a border guard with a stick in his hand and say to the cockroach, Hey, where are you going? What are you doing? Have you got a visa? What? No visa? How can you travel without a passport? You can't! That was the scene meant to appear in the first act. They were shooting the picture, and Bracken and I were going for lunch to Lucy's. That was the restaurant across the street from Paramount. Now, we were finished with lunch, and we passed a table where Mr. Boyer had a, had a nice French lunch with the napkin tucked in there and a little bottle of red wine. Hi, Charles. How are you? How are you, boys? What are you shooting today? We are shooting the scene with the cockroach. Oh, yeah, that's a good scene, isn't it? He says, we changed it a little bit. What do you mean you changed it? He, sa he says, we changed it because it's idiotic. Why would I talk to a cockroach if a cockroach can't answer me? And he said, yeah, 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 but just the same. We would like you to do it. No, 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 says Boyer. We talked and I convinced Mr. Leeson. I'm not talking to a cockroach. So it was nothing. The scene became flat. Nothing. So we were upstairs writing the end of this picture, Hold Back the Dawn, the last ten pages. I says to Brackett, if that son of a bitch doesn't want to talk to a cockroach, he ain't talking to nobody. Cross out his dialogue. <laughs> we won. Kind of. That's the kind of stuff that Billy's putting up with. I mean, we talked in our in our first episode about about some of the stuff that, that one of the UFA directors had, had done and, and, and some stuff with Ziodmak, but but it, it was just this constantly, especially Mitch Leeson and Mitch and Billy Billy wrote a lot of movies for Mitch Leeson. And 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 Mitch just seemed to have very little regard for the words on the page that Billy and Brackett had written and and for the ideas and and was constantly giving into that kind of of the moment on the day inspiration so one of the producers uh i believe arthur hornblow at at paramount decides billy should get a chance to direct because billy had been bugging him about it and so billy and bracket turn in a script called the major and the minor which is the story of a woman who can't afford a train ticket so she disguises herself as a child because at that time kids rode half fare on the train however a young army major meets her on the train and decides he's going to help take care of her so, so Billy, Billy, Billy puts together this script. Billy and Brackett put together this script. And he says, again, in, in conversations with Billy Wilder, 
He says, the people at Paramount, they thought Wilder's a good writer, and we would like to keep him as a writer. I started kind of complaining about Mitchell Leeson changing this and that, and I had not been able to watch because I was already writing the other picture with Brackett. I knew they told themselves, let Wilder make a small picture. He's going to fall on his ass. Then he's going to go back to the fourth floor. He's going to be a writer again. I knew that. So I did a commercial picture, as commercial as I've ever been. He says reiterating in nobody's perfect he says everybody was sure i was going to do some german expressionist thing sure to fail and that crazy wilder would go back to his typewriter and stop bothering everybody but i was very careful i set out to make a commercial picture and the key here is he says a commercial picture i wouldn't be ashamed of so my first picture as a director wouldn't be my last and that's the thing billy did a very smart thing he knew that when someone takes a chance on you, you have to play it safe. And you also have to do the best job that you can, which means it has to be something that you care about. Hence, a commercial picture I wouldn't be ashamed of, but it had to be something that wouldn't fail at the box office. He was very lucky to get Ginger Rogers. She was just coming off of winning an Academy Award. He was very lucky to get uh, Ray Milland, who was a, a very fine actor. But Billing knew that when someone takes a chance on you, you're better off playing it safe. There's an old adage in Hollywood that says, you're only as good as your last picture. And the sad thing is, is that the way executives think, that's true. But Billy wanted to direct. He wasn't satisfied with just the writing because, because these directors didn't know how to read. If you don't remember what that means, or, or, or if, you, um, if, you, if you aren't sure what that means, go back and listen to the first episode. In the end of the first episode, I talk about how he says repeatedly it's not good enough for not really that good for a director to know how to write but the director has to know how to read so billy set out to make a commercial picture he knew that he had to make something that people were going to want to go see that people would go see something that would make its money back so that the studio could look at him and say yeah well maybe maybe this billy wilder kid does know what he's doing sometimes especially early on and especially when someone's taking a chance on you you have to play it safe but do it in a way that you're still going to do a good job of it because it's not something you're ashamed of. There's another interesting quote in here. Uh, this one comes from Conversations with Billy Wilder. He says, I went to Lubitsch. I said, look, you've made 50 pictures. I've made one. This is going to be my first picture. What can you tell me? Oh, no, excuse me. He says, I've made none. Apparently he wasn't counting Mauvais Grain. This is going to be my first picture. What can you tell me? And Lubitsch said, all I can tell you is after 60 pictures, I still shit my pants on the first day. I think that's really important to understand. No matter how many times you do this, it's still kind of nerve-wracking. You have somebody, even if you're good, you have someone taking a chance on you. Someone invested a lot of money behind a project that you are in charge of. Let that nervousness sharpen you. Don't let it eat at you, okay? There's one last thing I want to talk about here. This one, this one's going to come in under, <laughs> under time, but that's okay. Billy had a really great editor. Uh, Billy had a really great editor by the name of Don Harrison. Doan became massively influential in Billy's, eventually even becoming one of Billy's producers. Let me give you a little bit of context here. So I mentioned very, very, very briefly that Billy worked as a newspaper man in Berlin. Now, when Billy was there, Billy learned pretty quickly that if you didn't want the words you had slaved over changed... The trick was to turn in your story just before the deadline so that the editor couldn't change, so that the newspaper editor couldn't do anything to your story. It was this sort of way of 
keeping control over something that you'd worked so hard on. And while I don't necessarily think that's a great idea all the time, because I do think that, that other people can help make us better, I do think that there are some times when that's necessary. Let me tell you what Doan taught Billy Wilder. He taught him to shoot in a way that the film could only be cut the way he wanted it to. Billy says, I believe this is from Nobody's Perfect, he says, it's the scissors that make the picture. Cutting is very, very important. It is the juxtaposition of the various shots that makes the picture. So what I do is try not to give them any extra film to monkey around with. I didn't always have first cut, but even when you have it, they still have the power not to release your picture. So I shoot the minimum. When I finish a film, there is nothing on the cutting room floor but chewing gum, wrappers, and tears. Let me break that down for you very quickly. I have talked at length on this podcast about montage theory, about the juxtaposition of images, why editing is so important. Hitchcock brought it up. Scorsese brought it up. Everybody brings it up at some point. And Billy understood that. Billy understood that there's power in the individual shots, but there's more power in the way you cut it together. You can change the entire story of a scene just by changing where you place a reaction shot because what that changes is what that reaction shot is reacting to. If somebody says one thing and the reaction shot's supposed to go there, that informs you about the character. But if you move that reaction shot to after a completely separate piece of dialogue, well, now they're reacting to something different, and that changes the character. That changes the story of the scene. And it's all these little cuts that make up an entire movie. But if you don't give them enough footage to really monkey around with, and if you shoot it in a way that it can only be cut together certain ways then nobody can come in behind you and change it. So even if you don't contractually have a director's cut or contractually have final cut over a film, you kind of do because there's only so much they can change. There's, there's these subtle little ways to take control of a picture, these kind of technical ways that the people behind you, the people giving you a chance, the people who might try to wrestle the project away from you aren't going to get. You know, um, I'll give you a simpler example. Something that a cinematographer might do. I'm not, I'm not saying this is a great thing to do all the time, but I do think in certain circumstances it might be ideal. It's very normal these days to shoot raw. To shoot in, in, in the absolute rawest digital format possible. And if you've seen raw footage, you know that it has no contrast and it has no no life to it the the colors are very muted and the idea then is that you apply a lot a lookup table to that which is basically an algorithm for color correction that gives you a baseline to of a look to the footage to then fine-tune the color correction from but the raw footage and the LUT are kept separate that's the way we normally do it and the reason is is because what if they decide they want to change it you know, what if they decide that they don't want to shoot or, or, or they don't want to apply that LUT? They want to apply a different LUT in post. Well, the problem is that as a cinematographer, you're lighting and framing to that LUT. The production designer is choosing specific colors of wardrobe, of props, of background for that LUT. We're all looking at the LUT to see how it's going to look assuming that that's what we're actually going to do. But if you change the LUT, you've really changed a lot of elements of the film, of the mise-en-scene, if you will, 
of what it actually looks like, how it feels, how it comes across. This happened to Robert Richardson on a movie, a great cinematographer. He shot, um, he's, he shot a lot of movies for Tarantino. He shot movies for Scorsese, for, um, <laughs> for Oliver Stone, etc., etc., etc. Great cinematographer, Academy Award winner. But on the film World War Z, he, the director, and the studio, Paramount, all agreed on a lot. They all agreed on a certain look that that movie was going to be. And then when it came time to color correct the movie, the studio changed it. So he took his name off that film because he said, well, you've completely changed the look of the film that I shot. That's not my movie anymore. I didn't shoot that. The framing might be mine, but the look, the feel, the color, because that has such an impact on on, on on how we take in a movie, that's not what I tried to do. So he took his name off that film. There's a way around that, though. There is a way to bake in the lots into the footage and never record the raw. Never, never give them the opportunity to change what you shot. You can do that. It may not be the best decision, but there may be times when that's what you need to do. It's these kinds of things that Billy's talking about. Now, Billy's the director, so he decides how many shots in a scene you do, how many times you cover it, how many takes you get, how many inserts you shoot, from what angles do you shoot, all thinking about how it's going to cut together in his head and cut it together the way he wants to. Hitchcock was very similar in this. Hitchcock would only shoot what he needed. Hitchcock tells, or people told stories on Hitchcock where he would, he would call cut right in the middle of somebody's line. Because he's like, well, we're not going to use that. I'm going to pick that up over here. What Billy understood is that's how you keep control over a film. Because it's very possible for you to shoot a movie, get fired off the project, somebody else comes in behind you to fix it. Or maybe they keep you on the project, which is even worse. Somebody else comes in behind you to fix it, and if they recut it, they can really ruin the film. So Billy, even though he didn't have final cut at this time because someone was just taking a chance on him, he shot it in a way that he basically had final cut because there weren't really a lot of other ways to cut around what he had shot and to do it differently. So if you're in a situation where you feel you have to take control of your project, maybe you're trying to make a name for yourself, that's risky, but maybe it's maybe it's what needs to be done or you're afraid that someone behind you might come in and, and, and try to change what you're doing, think about ways that you can keep control over what you're doing without ruining the project. You have to make sure that whatever choices you make are the best choices. You really have to soul search and make sure that you're doing the right thing at the right time. But if you have that confidence, maybe maybe you need maybe you need to shoot it certain ways. Maybe you maybe you bake in the lut. I don't know, whatever it is. Sometimes it's important to keep control over a project when you think someone else might wrest that away from you. So, that's all we have for this one. Um, next up, we have Double Indemnity. Then in a couple of weeks after that, we'll have The Lost Weekend and then Sunset Boulevard. That's a great... That is actually a phenomenal uh, run right there of three films. Um, thanks again so much for listening. This has been Hitchcock University. I have been Taylor Bickle. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, things you want to talk to us about, feel free to uh, email us at hitchcockuniversity at gmail.com. There's a Hitchcock University Facebook page, and of course there's a Twitter um, account, uh, Hitchcock underscore U, the letter U as in university. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you again in two weeks.